Hello and welcome to Life with Laith episode 8. We are now live. Today is with a good sister of mine, Robin. I'm just going to be getting her into this so that she can come into the space. Life with Laith, an exploration of transformational conversations. me and I connect with on a level you know like I'm really here to create this podcast as a way to connect with people and today we're going to be talking all about indigenous wisdom and Robin is a thought leader in this space and she is here right now <laughs> hey Robin how are you doing today I'm really I'm really good happy to be here mm, it's beautiful to have you here thank you so much for taking the time out to arrive be present and just be with me for this next kind of 45 minutes or so and journey so you know the question today is why is indigenous wisdom important for our future but before we dive into that i would love for you know for people listening to this for people kind of landing tell us a bit more about yourself robin like who are you you know and what brings you here and why do you do this so let's start there who am i <laughs> You could say that I'm a sacred space facilitator. I'm a bridge keeper. I'm a creator. I create many different things. I also have a history in photography. And the reason that I do a lot of those many things that I do is really because I see so much beauty in the world and I see so much treasure. Mm. And I think that some of that can sometimes get lost in the noise, in the busyness, in the overstimulation and in our modern society. So especially as my role as a bridge keeper, I'm, I'm really keen to like take the, the seeds from the, the ancient world and the ancient and the old ways of living, the more traditional ways of living and the seeds from the more modern ways of living and to cross pollinate to like spread the bees. <laughs> mm, that's so beautiful. What inspired you to be on this path? You know, this is maybe something you've known for a long time, but I'm really curious as to like, you know, what inspired you to be this bridge keeper? You know, what was the bridge for you from where you were in maybe a past life many years ago into being the person that you are now? So what was your bridge and what was your inspiration? Yeah, it's interesting. I think inspiration comes in many forms. It's not always like, you know, a, a mood board or uh, seeing someone doing that role and thinking, I want to do that. Maybe that happened when I was like six and I saw someone dance like a, mm -hmm. for the first time. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> there's that kind of inspiration. And then there's the inspiration that comes in in challenges. It comes in difficult moments in your life. And it's more like, I guess, a drive, a drive. And it's for me, it's been those. It's been those difficult moments in my life where I've needed something else and I've also known there is something else. There was something always inside of me that, yeah, connected with something greater than the everyday life, I guess, mm -hmm. that, that was right in front of me. And I think definitely growing up, seeing um, in my my community and in my family dynamics, like how that the everyday life in the modern society wasn't serving and how mm. everything may be suffering or heaviness mm. and trying to find ways and opportunities to shift that and to and to to communicate that feeling that i knew that there was something else mm. 
there, but I just didn't have the tools or the or the knowing or the experiences to 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 say there's something else, mm. you know, there's another mm. way. Yeah. So I, I guess right. I just went hunting in every way I could and exploring, you know, everywhere, whether it's asking as many questions I can to a taxi driver in India or you know it's just like investigation I began investigating whether it was with my camera with my mouth with my with my heart um yeah the, the inve investigation began quite young I would say mm, that's so beautiful no thank you for sharing that and it's you know sometimes like there's that saying around we don't know what the path it's hard to connect the dots looking forward, but we can connect the dots looking back, you know, like sometimes we're in a place where we've arrived here and now and we're doing what we're doing. And then we're like, how did we get here? You know, but actually it feels so right. And there's, there's this deep knowing. And so I'm, I'm really, really interested. Do you feel like there was specific moments and experiences that you've experienced in the last few years, or the last decade that kind of allowed you to see yourself clearer? Was there like moments and happenings that just allowed you to be like, okay, no, this is my path. You know, this has come through so strong right now. Because um, I think many people uh, are trying to not necessarily find that because it's not something I feel like you can see, you can be a seeker, but is, has there been moments in your life where that like experience has then become so clear in this is the path that you want to walk? Um, again, I felt like I've always had a feeling and a level of faith and belief, especially in other people around me. Um, you know, my close family or my friends, there's always been that kind of sense of faith mm. and deeper connection to, to something that was giving me that faith, I believe. Mm. It's always logical sometimes when I speak with or help people even before I was in service in a more public way I don't think it comes from my mind I don't think it comes I'm not thinking about what I'm sharing it's coming from somewhere else so I definitely feel like um there's been some kind of connection that I've always had um and gradually I definitely I actually had um an classic record reading gifted to friend Gibby you know uh, Christmas and it's not the kind of thing that I would be like oh I'm gonna get an Akashic Records reading I'm pretty yeah. earth-based practice woman you know um and in that reading I just kind of accepted in myself that stepping into service was a necessity mm. uh, and that actually I shifted my perspective from being like who am I to stand in these spaces and who am I to, to mm. share these things that I have or who am I to give someone, you know, my loving care or my, my opinion or my medicine or my songs or anything like this. And I shifted it to being, who am I to stop that from coming? Mm. Who am I to stop this connection mm. and this I'm receiving because you're stagnating it, you're cutting it off. It's like hoarding loads of money and like, you know, it's going to make you sick. Receiving mm. energy and it's supposed to be shared you need to put that into your community and I think for me it was like you don't need to have perfectionism you don't need to have these kind of box ticky things you don't need to do it all at once just start just start walking just start following that thread and just open your door and do it outside of your house do it outside of 
your immediate community mm. now. Mm, that's so beautiful. Following the thread, sometimes, you know, walking the path, right? And so what I'm hearing is there's been like small continuous affirmations of the thread that you're on and the path that you're walking. And Akashic Records reading is something I've also explored myself and had some pretty, pretty crazy, um, insightful experiences just from like checking in with like you know this idea of past lives and exploring that and so but like you said you know you're a very earth-based woman so like bringing it back down to earth and, and then taking action on that so what does and how have you you know taken action on these downloads that you've received you know like what what are you doing now as a bridge keeper that has meant that you know you've seen these signals you've got this path in place uh, what do you do now? Like, how has that then reinforced or inspired the work that you're now doing? And what is that? Mm. Yeah, I I still don't really know. <laughs> I'm I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing exactly what feels most natural mm. to me, and I'm learning more and more from especially some of the indigenous women that I've been working with over the past mm. couple of years. Um, I noticed that I was working with a lot of men who, who are just incredible energies and spirits to like lift you up and give you that kind of like step up to it. And then I was like, hang on a bit, but where's, where's the other sides of me? Mm. So definitely in terms of like, I'm going more like nuanced, you know, I'm not going to like promote my work. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, yeah. isn't this? Yeah, yeah, you do that. Doing something that I'm definitely exploring is like that nurturing mother side mm. of me and that coming into my bridge keeping um, because I think I hadn't seen it practiced before until I was working with Ukrainia who's a Mazatec elder and then more recently um, Ines and, and some of the Shipibo women that are elders and this kind of like nurturing motherly love which is medicine which is mm. you'll know um there's so much power in in a mother's love Ooh. and so allowing that to come through i'm not yet a mother i'm not a mother at all but i am a mother in many ways you know mm. um so allowing that to come through and, and and it having a place in these healing spaces and it having a place for me as a bridge keeper it doesn't all need to be like logical and practical mm. uh, and so yeah that's definitely something that i'm that I'm exploring and and I'm learning the many different sides of of myself and how I can show up for people mm. and a lot of that is also a mirroring process you know you're, you're I'm being guided and taught by the people in our community through Root of the Gods through the work that we do in a sweat lodge for instance when running a sweat lodge really you're guided by the group experience and you're you're guided by your own feelings towards that experience it's not like a logical like oh i'm going to talk about this now mm. this so when i say i don't know it's because it's not here mm. it's here mm. um so what i'm doing i guess is being is being guided by that heart space and i'm putting hard work into it as well like you know mm -hmm. i'm taking care of myself and i'm doing my practices and using my tools to try and keep that balance and fill my cup up and um, take responsibility for that as well. 
Mm, that's so beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, you know, that's really seen when what you're doing, Robin, like your real embodiment of following the path, you know, the things that you're creating, the way that you're serving. I don't say that lightly, like I really see that. And actually, you know, we've had many discussions around what you're birthing into the world and, you know, back to kind of that mother archetype, you know, like actually the mother archetype births things into the world and actually brings them into fruition. And so I also resonate, you know, with not being a father, but embodying the father archetype, you know, the, the caring and the looking after and the supporting and, and actually that manifests in the spaces that I facilitate and the spaces that I hold, you know, a father archetype to many, you know, and actually, inshallah, at some point, you know, being a biological father will also be on my path. But, you know, we trust and we allow whatever to unfold when it unfolds. And so, you know, you kind of spoke to it really briefly. And I'd really love to start really exploring this indigenous wisdom piece. You know, this was something that we really connected with. And I guess, you know, for for layman's and just for absolute clarity, like what is indigenous wisdom? And let's start there. Like, what does what is indigenous wisdom, and what does that mean to you, Robin, as a gatekeeper right now, following this path? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really interesting when you propose. It really got me thinking more deeply in myself. Like, what is indigenous wisdom? I start by saying, you know, I'm speaking from my own experience, and my experience is limited to one to one human so if something resonates with you and anybody that's listening it resonates it's great if it doesn't just let it fall away there are many many different interpretations and different contexts in which you can use both the words indigenous and wisdom mm. um, <laughs> and you know if you if you use it in like a, a more political or social context it will mean something totally different to when we're talking about indigenous communities and their perspective of that within their kind of ecosystem uh, indigenous as people but then there's also indigenous knowledge itself like an, a knowledge and a wisdom or, or an altar that is native to a land that does not belong to to a person um that is of that land and so for me um yeah i feel like indigenous wisdom is there's a thread that runs a, a, across the world and across the communities and 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 through me too where indigenous communities indigenous people and and philosophies they are connected to the reality that the earth and this whole ecosystem and this whole um, universe or, or connected oneness is alive and that we have a relationship with everything and through that comes a responsibility through that also comes information through that mm. also comes that, that wisdom mm. so for instance you know being in peru and being in the jungle and, and being with the shipibo women there's a relationship you have with a plan mm. you're communicating with a plan you're communicating with every day and when i first kind of entered into that concept it was like okay but like how how is that possible and then yet exploring an, an my vision quest for instance and being uh, totally in nature with absolutely nothing for four days at some point i noticed that it's communicating with me like mm -hmm. i'm communicated with i 
look up and a bird comes in that exact moment or I look this mm -hmm. way something happens just just after it's like this it's like you're plugged in and there's mm -hmm. this communication going on and for me that was when I was like whoa this is wisdom of the land wisdom of, mm. of the ancients mm. I'm there for four days as a western woman that's grown up in a society with like tellies and you know soap operas and computers and all this crazy weird stuff mm. and for four days that's well three years in <laughs> like I've done it a few times now but I only have to sit there for four days to start to feel like I there's something the stories in the trees there's messages I see faces everywhere I see there's communication going on it's not cognitive I don't know anything that's happening but there's some kind of communication and connection imagine what like you start to understand and actually deep and not just like learn how these communities that are indigenous and that have lived in the jungle or have lived in the desert for generations and generations and generations as far back as we can see mm. how they can of course they can communicate in this mm. level um, it's very hard, hard to put into words is that mm. you know mm. why i'm on this path to keep learning and to keep experiencing and putting myself into as many experiences as possible to really catch the essence of of how, how we can bring those seeds and those moments into our modern world into our homes and into our lives because you know for me in this in this short life that i have had and have on this earth and these experiences that i've had it has dramatically changed my perspective mm. changed my whole family line mm. <laughs> mm. so beautifully articulated so like thank you so much for sharing that like so what I'm hearing is like, you know, this journey of indigenous wisdom is also about this reconnection to the land, you know, this reconnection to nature, this, this redefining and reprogramming the fact that in the Western world, you know, I'm a boy that grew up in London as well. And so it, we are so plugged into quote unquote, the matrix, right? And actually, like the people's connotations of that might be different. But this idea of disconnecting to reconnect to source to source energy right and actually when you're out doing a vision quest which i'd love for you to kind of speak about more is suddenly the lines between us and nature become um more connected like they become blurrier but actually therefore become clearer like we we see clearer the fact that we are nature, like nature is an embodiment of who you are. And actually when you're doing things like a vision quest, you're really connecting to source more so. And like you said, you know, nature starts to speak to you because your connection to source is becoming so much more potent. And it's really, really beautifully, um, really beautifully shared. And may I ask, you know, what, what inspired you to go on this vision quest journey? And I kind of know layers of that, you know, for different reasons, but some other people might not, you know, because, you know, to maybe the, 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 um, somebody who's not in this space might say, Robin, why are you going and spending four days out in the forest with no water and no food? Like that's barbaric, you know, but of course there's, there's meaning behind that. There's purpose behind that. So you're open to sharing, you know, what your purpose behind that is and what, what meaning meant for you to kind of drive in that direction on journey on a vision quest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
for anyone that doesn't know what a vision quest is it's um a north native american altar and i'm sure it's definitely got um, roots in other areas but it's basically a process of initiation almost it's like going into the mountain you're held by a community and they and they keep a sacred fire and there's some ceremonies before and after but um the main part is where you you are guided to go into the mountains um or out into the wild and you choose a space where you feel you can be for four days and four nights and you stay there in that one space you put your prayers around you which I won't explain too much now because there's <laughs> the whole thing about it straight around your space mm. um which is a couple of meters square and you stay there for four days and four nights with no shelter no tent no food and no water you don't speak you don't write um you don't make noise you just be and mm. um yeah what on earth could make me think that's a great idea um to be honest it's really cliche it came to me three times <laughs> um the first time it was mentioned to me i felt really defensive i was basically slagging it off and i'd never even done it i didn't even know what it was but i was like no i felt really like fired up and like no this is a, this is a really important thing that people are doing and this is mm. incredible um, the second time I was actually doing a dieta with ayahuasca um, and it was in a place that was called Vision Quest and that also stuck with me that the, the Donya of the land, the woman that owned the land, she hosted Vision Quest there and she told me some stories, sang me some songs and it really just kind of planted a seed in my heart. Mm. Then when I met my now partner, Ahau, in some very bro broken Spanish conversation, uh, I didn't really understand much, but I knew that he was talking about a vision quest and something that was a big part of his life. So a couple of days go by after we've met and I thought, I really want to go and do this vision quest, but was a little bit unsure. And I was like, I don't know this guy. I don't want him to get the wrong impression, but I really feel like I need to go and do this vision quest. Mm. Anyway, so I just texted him and said, where do I need to be and when? Mm. I arrived in the community. I didn't understand basically any Spanish. Um, I didn't realise I was in a peyote ceremony until I got past the basket of, like, jelly. <laughs> it felt like jelly. I was like, what's this? He said, his brother said, peyote, eat it. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, so I didn't know what was going on, but I was led by my heart. I was led by that gut feeling, mm. like, I'm here to do this. I, I really didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to expect. I knew I had to stay there until they came and got me. And so glad that I followed that thing. Um, you know it's it's brought me a, a, a level of safety and um, connection with myself and therefore nature than I than I knew was possible mm. and that I've had for many you know medicine experiences it's totally different to be alone totally alone not relying on a doctor or a shaman or a plant or a journal or you know nothing you can't even scream you can't sing you can't cry loudly mm. like you really are just in this focused state and sometimes totally melting and like just gone you know and i remember on the third day the third day of my first vision quest bearing in mind i am from england 
it's not hot here in comparison to Mexico. This is like a semi-desert mountain. Dry, 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 dry. Um, your mouth is dry. Like everything is just like sun. <laughs> and I'd been rocking back and forth for about an hour. And this voice in my head saying, you can't do this. And the other mm. side, do what? You're not doing anything. Mm. And it was like, but what if I die? Like what? Mm. What if I die? And that's like the the root of the fear of the, you know, that's the ultimate fear, I guess, in most of us. And it was like this process where it was like you are going to die in some sense, and you hear this like with, you know plant medicine ceremonies or something it's like oh I died last night you know and the ego death or something like that mm -hmm. but that that's really stuck with me this feeling of like but what if I die mm -hmm. and I basically had to find the part of me I, you have to get into details because if you let that consume you you probably can't do it you probably will go back down the mountain but do you really need to or is that your mind mm -hmm. is that like something is the question it's that fear that's come up and because there's no, nothing around, there's no one around, you can't project that onto anyone. You can't blame, you can't, you can't do anything about it. So you, you have to look at it and, you know, this fear, what is this fear? Okay, that is just a small part of me. Mm -hmm. And that's stuck with me. Like when you feel like you're going to die or when you feel like it's going to be easier to die, find which part of you wants to die and hold her and let her die. Mm -hmm. Be that mother and hold her. You know, mm. let that piece of you die. It's not all of you. It's never all of you. Mm. Mm. And that for me was so profound. And in that, I learned to pray. Then I learned mm. to pray. And it was like, okay, but I do need help. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> in as much help and support and love in as many different ways as I could. Mm. And that's where I learned to pray. Yeah. Wow, give me shivers, Robin. It's so beautiful. It's um, yeah, what a beautiful journey that you've been on. You know, like that is incredible. And if you're open to sharing, like, what parts of you died? You know, if you're open to sharing something, or maybe that if that feels a bit too intimate, then please let me know. But you know, I think this like death is really important. I think actually we die a lot before we leave this plane. You know, and actually. There's something about leaning into that death, that shedding of versions of ourselves, which allow us to find our true essence, you know? So what parts of you do you feel like you shed or died? And actually, if you're open to sharing that, you know, maybe this is a, maybe a process in its own essence because of taking you back there, but maybe there's just a bit of a sprinkling. Yeah. As with, like you say, those parts of you continue to die. Mm -hmm. So, I, like, you know, that moment was not frozen in time, and then I just continued with my life. Like that moment has, has changed and transformed. And I've done three, two other visions. Someone just tried to call me. Sorry, I thought I'd put the moon mode on. Doesn't that mean hard? <laughs> You're good. <laughs> um. <clears throat> 
Okay. Um, which parts of me died? A big part of it was this like external layer. This external layer that I guess is almost like the house, you know? Most people in the UK grow up in a house that's got walls, that's got a locking door, that's got heating, that's got yeah. curtains, that's got these things that make us feel like out there is not safe. Mm -hmm. In here, you need to be inside by the time you're like going to sleep or you need to you need to have a barrier between you and the natural world mm. and it's like are, are we not the ones that are homeless like if we're like inside a home and we actually can't sleep at night on the floor of the earth we're afraid to mm. aren't we ripping ourselves from our home Mm. from our roots so the part of me that I think died was the part of me that believed that nature wasn't safe mm. and I spent so much time in nature and I love it and I'm like you know I love to get muddy I've been camping all my life so I'm a woman who loved nature right a mm. big part Part of me when you when you sit on that mountain alone or if you'd have told me go and sleep in that forest alone tonight you're like you'll be fine i'd be like no <laughs> um, <laughs> coming in again um so the part of yeah the part of me that died was the one that believed that nature wasn't safe and slowly slowly that kind of falls away because that also if you think that the world outside the to be around the trees or to be on the earth isn't safe you're also kind of saying to yourself that inside of you you're in a nature you're in a forest you're in a garden it's not safe oh. um so i was very happy for her to die <laughs> And that's so beautiful to shed that fear by the sounds of it, you know, that fear of fear of nature by the sounds of it, you know, and actually also maybe an attachment to comfort, which I completely own. Parts of me have this real attachment to comfort, fear of discomfort, you know, like, oh, suburban house, clean streets warm heating and actually i had a conversation on this podcast with a man about how we leaning into discomfort is really important mm -hmm. because life can be really uncomfortable and actually not only how can we create more uncomfortable experiences in our day-to-day -day life that allow us to become more accepting of the discomfort that life will inevitably bring and actually, for me, as someone that really focuses on nervous system regulation with a lot of the work that I do related to trauma and related to healing, actually, like, how do you regulate the nervous system? And this is, must be something that you would have had to do in real time at the top of a mountain in the heat. But what I'm hearing is it was less of like, a, let me practically regulate my nervous system with some breath work. It was like, fuck, I'm in this. So it's like, I have no choice but to understand how to be in this environment and i think that's really potent that you mentioned which was like this is how we pray you know it's a prayer 
Mm. And actually that prayer of intention, that prayer of connecting to something higher than us, which may be within us, it's also without us. And actually how do we create that connection more? And that comes through prayer, through that real devotion and dedication to ourself and to spirit. And so really to kind of circle this back round to this indigenous wisdom piece, um, because, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like vision quests are a form of indigenous wisdom, you know, actually reconnecting. And so if you're also open to maybe sharing what other, you know, practices and tools that you've sat with, you kind of met, you kind of sprinkled a bit of plant medicine, but maybe, maybe speak to that more, you know, what other really, Really um, clear methodologies are there that you've experienced which are defined as to your best ability of knowing as indigenous wisdom you know and actually you've got this vision quest piece is there other, any other you know forms or practices or processes which for you on your path have been oh this feels like the wisdom that's connecting me to source mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and mm -hmm. Often in my experience, they're referred to as altars, mm. really. And these altars are not just, you know, the songs or the ikaros that come through. They're not just the, the plant or the medicine. They're not just the culture or the community. They are like a, an ancient technology that's a structure of all of it. Mm. So that's why it's such a hard thing to put into words, this indigenous wisdom, because you could... Yeah, you could speak on the land or the people or the, the like I said, the ikaros or the songs. It's just like so multifaceted. And something, you know, ayahuasca has really changed my life. That's definitely a, a, an altar mm -hmm. um, that has created big, big shifts in my life. And I, yeah, I would like to go into a little bit more detail with it because I think it's also become this like blue pill marketing of like I was gonna change my life and that was easy and I just went and I did it and that was that um yeah <laughs> if you're open to speaking to more your ayahuasca you know the altar of ayahuasca if you're open to speaking to that yeah. even if you know we will not do it justice in the few minutes that mm -hmm. we have to explore it but because it feels like, like you said, you know, there's a lot of like ayahuasca retreats in Costa Rica, which costs 15,000 pounds. And, you know, and I really acknowledge the importance of bringing these medicines like back into the forefront of society for different reasons. But I think we've got to be mindful as well, right? Because if there's one thing humans have got a track record of, it is abusing things and capitalism abusing sacredness you know and i recognize that a woman on the medicine path in which you are like actually that can be a dance at times you know in regards to finding that sweet spot between the introduction of indigenous wisdom and sacred medicine but also coming from this real authentic place which just isn't another thing you know another way for organizations to um, capitalize you know on the human psyche and so are you open to be sharing a bit more about your path within the ayahuasca altar and how you know what that journey um and i know this will just be the tip of the iceberg what that journey has meant for you 
yeah thank you for thank you for saying that and I feel like you can feel my kind of like oh how can I frame this authentically but you know as a non-indigenous person you know I'm not a Peruvian curandera I, I can only speak from my experience but that I think is also important because so many people are looking and needing um, these these indigenous altars at this time so something that I definitely I think is misinterpreted um, in in my experience from what I've learned is that the ayahuasca is like the focal point it's like you go you do the ayahuasca you do the ceremonies like bam 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 you're sorted mm. actually it's like a third if not less of an experience of like an indigenous dieta with shipibos for instance I was with the Shipibo Maestres and I learned a lot. Even to say that I've, you know, had ayahuasca for maybe four or five years now, being in the jungle this last year, um, I learned a lot around actually the ayahuasca is like the purgative medicine, the purgative moment, and it's like a deep cleaning and they come in and they, they scan you and just get really in there with the ikaros and the healing. But alongside that, there's a very strict diet. You're in isolation. You're not speaking with anyone and you're given a plant that's prescribed to you that's non-psychoactive. That is really, for me, it was a big focal point. Me and Renekia, we had this, this you know, two-week deep relationship mm -hmm. and we still have that deep relationship in the jungle. When I was there in the jungle, what was in my mind most prominently was Renekia, Renekia, Renekia. Not ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. It's kind of mm. like these other plants are taken out of context. And if you think of the way that cultures and communities and ecosystems work, there is never just like one thing. Like I'm saying, this altar is many different things. It's the same with the sweat lodge. You can't have the rocks without the fire mm. and the, 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 without the water, without the song, without the drumming, without the structure, without the geometry. Like there's there's just so much to it and um, really what I took away from from this recent uh, dieta and this time in the jungle that I'm so blessed to to have experienced was like deep powerful teachings in devotion to your connection to source, to universe, to great spirit, whatever that is, because that is the only thing that is guaranteed in your life. Mm. That's the only thing that all of us have and will always have, and mm. that is into source. Mm. We focus so much on the other stuff. We get distracted by all the other shit. We think, oh, I need to put some more work into that. And so we stop coming to our altar. We stop coming to that place of devotion and we forget about that connection that we have. Mm. We ourselves from our own connection we, we ignore it and sometimes it's because that is the clearest mirror that's the hardest place to be that's the hardest place to see yourself you cannot blame it on anything else I said to my friend yesterday it's funny we don't come to that place when when shit gets hard that when we actually need to be coming to our altar and doing our practices is the time when we don't do it mm. he went yeah for me it's also when life's good when life's good I forget because I'm like what you know I need to be going there I don't need to be devoting myself to that connection I don't need to go there to learn I don't have anything to learn. When actually, indigenous wisdom lives in our bodies. Mm. You know 
<laughs> that like as a movement practitioner you tap into that body as a tool and I've had that message so so many times it's like yeah we might have had our witches burned our books burned a lot of our indigenous altars and structures and and um wisdom destroyed mm. land but you still have your body mm. there is indigenous wisdom wisdom in your body mm. we need to learn how to listen we need mm. to learn how to sit and deeply listen mm. not with our ears it's not like for this like mind-blowing cinematic experience to come in and some voice to say this is your purpose no it's to sit there and listen to the subtleties every morning or every night whenever it is for you and listen without judgment without knowing without attachment without thinking that's the only truth it might change tomorrow but just continue to listen that's the space to come and to listen stay devoted to that connection offer yourself to that connection that you have that's that's the place and that's what i've learned from the shibibo women that's what came through in those experiences it was like she was just like wafting it all over my head Ines was just like this is what you need to know mm. and, and it was like this my head kept going to the side like this listening it was the left ear that needed to listen 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 and in some moment it was like she built up this totem pole they they explained it like a crystal they're like building a crystal structure of your of your energy or i don't know what translation word that would be from spanish but um <laughs> it's like uh, uh they're rebuilding your structure and bringing you up and in some moment enis when she was giving me um sharing the ikara with me it was like this listening listening all these teachings you know to be an honorable woman to be a person within a community all these things i was just like yes 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 this is not in words by the mm -hmm. way this is in other kind of translation language and then she built me up and it was like this queen energy and it was like this powerful connection because all of this has now been built you're ready to feel that connection that openness that vision and the little ego robin in me or the little like you know still got stuff to learn version of me came in and was like oh yeah queen like i could just live like this this feels nice and then just like like swiped it all away and was like but listen you need to listen you need to keep listening queens listen mm. queens have their ear to the ground mm. are just a channel you are just a translator you are not there to dictate what you need to do with your body you're not there to dictate what happens in your life you are there to listen so for me it's like that connection point what however you find that you know whether it's through dancing in the morning whether it's through praying with tobacco or whatever it is whether it's like my nan she goes out into the morning in the morning every morning and speaks with the birds mm. She knows all the birds. She knows where they're going, what they're doing. That's her prayer. That's her connection to source. And, you know, she's the happiest 92 year old woman I know. So, mm. you know, fine <laughs> way. Yeah. Wow. 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 <clears throat> There's a really big piece here around this listening, you know, listening to the body and the body's wisdom. And actually, like, you know, you, you, you shared it so clearly. It's like this idea of, things being destroyed and burned and you know our, our, us being kind of taken out of 
of our source place, but then just listening, you know, this real potent perspective of listening to the body, listening to nature and acknowledging that the indigenous wisdom in which we all seek is already there, has already been there and has forever been there, you know? And actually wherever your soul chose to be born in this life, is like fundamentally there's connection to many, many things beyond our comprehension from many, many times ago. And actually like this is really potent and powerful way for us to acknowledge why this is important. And maybe we can kind of circle really all the way back round and kind of close this piece on. So Robin, why is this important for our future? Why is this, this amazing connection and wisdom, whether it's through the plant medicine and these altars, and this connection to source and this exploration through this practice is like, why is it important, Robin? And why should people give a fuck? Why should people care? You know, why? Do you know what? It's so easy to, again, dictate and to say, there's some things we know in the world. We need to stop using plastic bags. We need to take better care of the environment. We need to stop having junk food or we need to be better for each other. We need to stop domestic abuse or we want to stop poverty or we want to stop homelessness but telling somebody to make a difference in that or telling somebody to stop doing that or t telling dictating again without them actually feeling that connection as to why that's not the right thing to do as to why that needs to change is not a long-lasting solution we need to take responsibility for our own actions and for our own relationships, our own families, our own earth. And I believe that the only way that we can do that in a sustainable way and in a real way, you know, not just like planting loads of trees and getting good data. It's like other local people actually, you know, rooted in that. Do they believe that? Are they going to sustain that? I think they will if they feel a connection to it if they, they see those trees as their ancestors if they watch that river as if it's their own mother you know that's the level of connection that we need to actually realistically live in a healthier world live in a in an earth that's going to continue mm. to sustain us and feed us um, make the big shifts that are needed ahead of us. We need to feel it, not know it, not just be to do it. And I think the indigenous wisdom and that connection, that connection to source and to essence and to life is the way to make it real. Wow. Powerful words there, Robin. Powerful words there. Damn, it's like, it's, it's, you know, the answer to the question is like, it's non-negotiable for healthy humans to understand indigenous wisdom. For anyone who's looking to connect to their heart space, you know, care for the planet, care for this world. You know, we know this place will be here far longer and far more time than we will be here. But actually, how holistically do we live this life and how connected do we live this life? is defined in this moment from what we've shared around how connected are we to indigenous wisdom? You know, how willing are we to listen to nature, listen to our bodies? And how can we not only listen and like you say, learn, because that's sometimes that's in the mind, right? Like, how do we like embody this change and actually like, you know, walk the talk, 
per se, you know, instead of just being like, oh, I'm just going to talk about this thing and this is going to be really cool and then go back to my, you know, go back to my way of living and actually there's no, there's this disconnect, you know. It's not about going and doing ayahuasca in the rainforest and then coming back and living the exact same life, you know. Have you embodied the knowledge and wisdom there, you know, and actually finding these ways and why it's important is because it feels like it's, in the, it's, it's non-negotiable, like it's vital for humans to become more connected to not only ourselves, but to each other, is to really understand indigenous wisdom. And this has been really inspiring for me because it's an area of life in which I'm yet to dive into, you know, like holding ceremonial spaces for brothers and creating these men's spaces. We bring through prayer, we bring through this work. And there's a lot of elders that I sit with who are in this work who Non who, who constantly remind me the importance of that journey from the head to the heart being the longest journey, you know. Actually, so the longest journey you will ever journey is the journey from the head to the heart, 17 centimetres on average, and it can take a whole lifetime, you know. And sometimes we need to go and we need to go far to see what's already here. We need to go and sit in the mountain for four days without food and water to, to remember that it was always there. You know, we need to go sit in ceremonies in the rainforest to remember that it was always there. We need that, you know. And actually acknowledging that journey of remembrance and reconnection and reverence in, in our relationship to ourselves yeah. and humanity. And so, especially for British people, please. because we are so perfectionists. <laughs> and a lot of people ask me, like, how do I do prayer? Like, how, like, how does that work? Um, how do I connect to indigenous wisdom? You know, how can people actually start in your own way? Mm. There is, are no rules. There are no restraints. There is no right or wrong. We are not living in this polarity that we've been sold, you know? So you might do it. You might feel that connection and you might come back to your life and you feel like, oh, that connection's gone. That's okay. You know, we don't need to be perfect and always kind of, yeah, striving to be the best life you know like it's, it's when you actually deep that like if you think about how like what, it's not meant to be like that if my grandmother who's never been to a ceremony well that's not true she came to one of our lodges but you know she's she's never been to a yoga workshop or a ceremony in her life she's never met an indigenous community she doesn't know what ayahuasca is she doesn't know what all these things that we're like maybe we think we need are <laughs> but she prays every morning. Mm. She'll move her body and she will listen to her body. And that is her indigenous wisdom. She will talk to the birds, like find a tree, go and sit with it. Mm. If you don't have a tree, have a, like, find a plant, have a plant in your, in your house. It's, it's like these, these subtle ways and, and don't analyze yourself. Don't think like, oh, I'm supposed to receive a message from spirit and it hasn't come yet, so I'll just stop doing it. <laughs> it's like no it doesn't work like that and that's what happens with meditation you know oh, i'm not good at it or i'm not flexible enough for yoga or you know all of this bollocks it's bollocks mm. do it if it feels good continue to do it but listen don't come in and judge and dictate what it's supposed to be like mm. again that listening and curiosity and openness mm. it's not there's no rules. Mm, there are no rules. Find your way. Mm, there are no rules. You will find your 